figured I would just sit down and just, you know, fuck it. Let's let's do a podcast. Hello? Really? We should do a podcast. Hello? Hey, this would be a great podcast. Let's fun. Let's do it. Cliffy, it's Uncle Cliff, Cliff. Cliffy? Hello, Cliffy? It's podcast time. Gimme, gimme, gimme a man after midnight. And now, the Birthday Boy Podcast. Are you listening? This is episode one. Clippy, it's Grandma Clip Clip. No way. I think it's gonna be terrible. Licky boom boom down. Clip, this is your uncle Clip Clip. Here's the host of Birthday Boy Podcast. Terrible. The one and the only. The Jenny Boy. Positivity is for fucking assholes. My little baby boy. Did you write La Poopy? Baby Butter Boy. On one of the sausage sandwiches. Womack style. Hey, Leo. Lindy. This sandwich says La Poopy on it. I love you. What are you trying to serve here? Toggling your balls. Any tips? Toggling your balls. For eating abroad. Uh, toggling his balls. Uh, just below your nipple. Wait a minute. The biggest one yet. Hey, happy Monday. Uh, I was just thinking of, I was just retelling some stories to uh, to my oldest, to my spouse, and I wanted to, I said, hey, I've never really told some of these stories. Not that they're, they're not great. Um, it's going to uh, set you up for disappointment. But they're just stories that I, th- I was thinking of and I thought were funny. Uh, we were talking about, we were talking about teachers I was talking about how, and I've discussed this on the podcast previously, how I would go to the dean of students or go to somebody uh, in the administrative offices and try to get certain professors, uh, uh, basically try to get them fired, try to get them to lose their jobs because they would dare uh, fail me because they didn't think that I was the greatest student that they had ever seen. I was so used to my little fun little coddling bubble that I had in high school where uh, one of my uh, one of my teachers my English teacher the the wonderful uh, Mrs. Foreman Pemberton would write comments on my essays one time she wrote a comment about how I moved her to tears my writing, my words moved her to tears because it was something about uh, I don't know what it was about it was a racism type thing and moved her to tears and that's so I'm like okay yeah that's that's how everybody should view all the work that I do and no one no one should ever dare criticize me and so of course when I went to uh, my first semester of calculus with Professor Lewis who was very smart and very good at calculus very good mathematician horrible horrible teacher and it was the only C that I ever got in college so naturally I went to the dean. Uh, after the next semester when I got an A in Calc 2 and said, how do I get a C in Calculus, a C in Calc 1, and an A in Calc 2? What changed between December and January that suddenly I'm good at Calculus? Oh, nothing changed except the person teaching it. And one of them is terrible and one of them is good. So the terrible one should be fired because that is not a grade that I should ever have. A C, I've... It's not something that I've seen too often, and I want him fired. And then I went, uh, as you know, uh, Professor Jacobs, Ken Jacobs, yelled at me because I wasn't paying attention, and I couldn't answer his question. You, what is an immortal? Uh, someone who never dies. Wrong, that's not what I'm talking about. Goldberg, get his name. 
And so then I said, how, what? how dare he? How dare he yell at me for not paying attention during his class as he's trying to tell us something and teach us something and I wasn't paying attention. And then he called me out for it. That's not fair to me. He should be fired. And basically I was saying, uh, uh, basically, I was, I was like, uh, you know, before there was the Karens and the Kevins, I was like a campus Karen. I didn't get perfect grades and didn't get away with not paying attention in class, so these teachers should be fired. I want to speak to the manager. I want to speak to the dean. Yeah. And then it made me, uh, I remembered we had, um, yeah, college is weird because a lot of classes were like college classes. This is tough. This is serious stuff. You might not get a ton of homework, but you better goddamn study for that test because that's 50% of your grade. Or you better goddamn write the good paper because it's 50% of your grade. Not a bunch of little pissant little quizzes and assignments and things that add up to a grade. No. You, you basically have maybe, maybe class attendance can help give you like a 25% of that grade. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's like 30% is class attendance and 40% is the final exam and 30% is a, a paper or something like that or the midterm. Yeah, it's responsibility time. It's accountability time in college. And then there were classes like Cinema 102 with Professor Anderson, Dana Anderson, <clears throat> where our homework was we kept a journal. And I was just telling <laughs> I was just telling my 12-year-old that I, you know, we personalized our little our little workbooks, our little journals, we all had to get the exact same kind of, uh, you know, it was like a hardcover sort of sketchbook type thing, which I'm trying to remember where I put it. I have it. I still have it with my yearbooks. I don't remember. Where the hell did I even put my yearbooks? Oh, they're down. There. Okay. I'm looking at it. Uh, yeah, there it is. My little book. What was it called? It was. There it is. Uh... Cinema 122, John Hopkins, my entire, I'll, I'll put this when I, when I post on Facebook. Oh, here we go. Week number one, it was drawing, contour hand, contour face, contour object, color study one, color study two, color study three, class analysis, art analysis, verbal expression, contour plant, contour clothes, contour, it was just drawings, just it. Negative space, class analysis, week five, TV analysis. Okay. Visiting artists, Black Mariah, Ariana Gerstein, Robert Beavers, Martin Arnold, Chris Sullivan. Okay. I don't know what that is. Um, yeah. John Hopkins. And it's just a bunch of drawings. It's just nothing. Abstract art. And my drawings look like a small child's drawings because I can't draw. I stink. Vincent Van Gogh, Cottage with Trees. This is a film course, by the way. January 31st, 2001. The main reason I enjoy this particular painting is because of the lifelike, realistic coloring of the skyline in the background. To me, this is an incredibly relaxing piece. It is obvious from the colors in the sky that it is dusk. Probably this painting is depicting a scene from dinner time, which to me... I think we. I think part of that we we had to write to me a bunch, or I just uh, suck. To me, is the most relaxing time of day. It is a time, more or less, the only time 
of day when a family and friends can gather together, unwind, enjoy a good meal, and good company as well. It seems as though Van Gogh had the same thing in mind when he painted this scene. It's a quaint cottage that seems to be the size of a family house. Oh, I'm going to fall asleep reading this. Class analysis. The first class was really not what I expected at all. Meditations of the first class. This is a very positive thing, of course. I expected a continuum, a con- continuation of 121, but was completely surprised. It is a very different, unique experience already after only the first class. As far as the material, it was extremely enjoyable. I'm just kissing ass. The fourth piece by Coppola. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's just like, just nothing. It's just nothing. What is this? A bunch of music. Class analysis. Some drawings. Class analysis, some, ho- I mean, horrible drawings. My complete inability to draw is on full display in these books, and this, this would be better served as a video, but uh, anyway, it's, a, it's, just a, it's just a nothing, and it's colored pencils. It's a bunch of colored pencils. Class analysis. Where would the avant-garde film world be without our good friend Michael Snow? That's a question I ask myself every day. Uh, Not just on April 3rd, 2001. Seriously, this guy has to be the most... Oh, it's a sarcastic thing. Where would the avant-garde film world be without our good friend Michael Snow? Seriously, this guy has to be the most uninteresting person on the face of this planet. Who in their right bloody mind films a zoom-in shot of a picture for 45 minutes or a swaying panning shot of a room for an hour and a half. I realize the avant-garde uh, avant-garders want to be different than the norm. So for that alone, snow gets a 10 out of 10 from me, but it would take some serious analysis and logical explanation from Michael snow to have me convinced that this is a good film. It's quite humorous. If you think about it, there's Michael snow standing behind his tripod with one hand in his pocket the other hand on the tripod handle, just pushing it back and forth for 90 minutes. At least he can say he has a full-length film. Perhaps he's using it as a symbol of the monotony of our daily lives. No, wait. No avant-garde filmmaker would be that cliche, would they? Nah. Either way, the fact of the matter is this. Mike Snow, now I'm just calling him Mike, is a very talentless person. The only reason he is recognized for his work is because he's the first person to do it. The only thing I was able to do during this film was count the number of chairs in the room. <laughs> I forgot the final tally, though, so it shows just how useful his film is. The one and only interesting thing about this film is that after watching it for a good 10 to 15 minutes or so, back and forth motion almost seems to mix the two sides of the room together to create a panoramic angle other than that is a fairly worthless film that i don't anticipate but fully expect seeing it again oh okay so it's uh so i really i really took a dump that's good as yeah ripping apart uh michael michael snow and i now that i think about it i guess i do remember that piece that film uh Oh my gosh! This is so. Anyways, this is Cinema One Twenty Two at Binghamton, where we had to keep these. It was a journal. It was art. It was this. It was that. And uh, obviously, I you can you can read what I just read that passage from April third, two thousand one. That's twenty, oh, twenty years, and six months ago. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. I, I, twenty years ago, and there I am. Yeah, I guess I'm just as much of a 
I guess the birthday boy hasn't changed too much as I'm as I'm ripping apart these horrible films that we had to watch in film school. Oh, Mike Snow, not pretentious at all. Oh no, he's not. He's not making a statement on the on the monotony of daily life. No, they the avant garde filmmakers wouldn't be that cliche. No, he's great. So that's gay. At least I was. At least I was openly just shitting on. I feel like I a little little jab at the subtle jab at the entire program too, which fair enough. You know, shouldn't have I shouldn't have gone to that school for that program. Fine institution, great school. The smartest kids go there, obviously. Uh, and I don't care what you say. Geneseo is not the, the smart school of the SUNY system. I bad news for you. It's Binghamton. Always has been. Always will be. Anyway, uh, this this Cinema One Twenty Two. It was this guy. He was pretty fresh faced, dude. Dana Anderson. And I I would have to look and see. I wonder if I have my. I wonder if I have my. Um, I don't know. Uh, there was a yeah. Maybe there's a maybe there's an analysis in here. Of <laughs> oh look at the boy fine lines. It is something called fine lines. It is hard to understand exactly how something like this can actually pass for a film. I should go shoot some Super 8 film with the lens cap on, get it processed, then scratch the shit out of it. After that, I should hand it in as many to as many film shows and film festivals as possible. Then after that, I should wait for the money and kudos to start pouring in. This Jane something character basically filmed several minutes of lens cap and then after processing sat on her chair and took some car keys and scratched up the film wow what a new and experimental way to do film hopefully they won't catch on this won't catch on with the avant-garde world and people will be smart enough to see what a waste it is to do something like this wow i didn't realize this whole thing is just um it's just me shitting on the films that we watched I was just going to tell you about uh yeah, I was just going to tell you about uh about the class itself. I was uncomfortable watching, yeah, okay. It was just me ripping apart all the films that we watched. What I want to watch though. Oh, this was here's one. This is a huge wow. Zorn and Lima by Hollis Frampton. Class analysis, April 19th, 2001. This was a huge, capital huge, piece of garbage. Why do avant-garde filmmakers need to make films about 50 minutes longer than they should be? Oh, uh, yeah, well, wait till, uh, wait till Disney starts making Marvel films. You talk about 50 minutes too long. Do they feel, feel insecure because they're not Hollywood filmmakers and cannot make full-length features that people like? So instead, they make, uh, they make hour-long films that people hate. <laughs> This is a waste of my time, and it is amazing to think that we stopped watching The Winter Kept Us Warm the week prior, but yet we watched this piece of garbage from front to back. Frampton, I suppose, was just looking to piss people like me off. For 45 minutes, we have to watch Letters of the Alphabet in the form of street signs in alphabetical order. 45 minutes, Jesus. It was pretty cool, actually, for the first two, maybe three times. The film could have easily ended right here, and it would have been a pretty interesting film. It was a very creative idea, an interesting and unique approach to doing to doing a film. Wow. Uh, 
But why did this thing have to go through every letter in the alphabet and the transition from actual letter to physical representation in the form of the alphabet? I will give credit where it is due to anyone with patience and attention span to stay awake and watch this entire 60-minute blunder. I wonder if Frampton ever had a real job. Oh, my God. I pulled out the real job card. Oh, God. If so, he must have taught school. Only teachers could have that much time or unemployed people. Oh, my God. To actually shoot. And I handed this in to my professor. This is crazy. And I got an A. Because I, my theory was... He's not reading shit. He's not looking at these things. There's because there's no feedback. There's no comments. We had to we had to literally hand in these books every week. We would give him the book at the beginning because there was a there was a film screening class on one day, and then the next day was the was the uh, analytical class time. So we'd have three hours of screening where we watch the film, and I think that was the Tuesday. By the way, this is the semester where I only had class on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So it must have been Tuesday was the screening day and Thursday was class. So, so not only did I not have class on two, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but two of my classes on Tuesday and Thursday were this guy's class where we watched crappy movies and then wrote in our journal and drew pictures of our sneakers. Drew pictures, drew drawings, whatever. Uh, so it was not just classes on only Tuesdays and Thursdays, it was some of the easiest ones where I would just go home and write about how much stuff sucked that we were watching in class. Because I thought either, hey, if he reads it, he'll be happy that somebody's not kissing ass and just saying, oh, this is so great. These avant-garde films are so good because most of them weren't. Uh, either he's going to say, hey, this guy's not a kiss ass. That's nice. Or he's not reading it. And I figured either way, who cares? Because these films suck, and I can't pretend that they don't. So I would write, yeah. 60-minute uh, blunder. Oh, but the fact that I, yeah. Only teachers and the unemployed could have that much time. That's a horrible thing to say. I would love to know what was going through Frampton's head when he was filming this piece of garbage. Was he actually excited about the possibilities of a film about the alphabet? Did he shoot all the footage? I know that Frampton likes to use found footage and claim it as his own, like only a true lazy ass would do. So I wouldn't be surprised if this whole damn film was purchased for $1.50 at a flea market or a garage sale, and then Frampton took credit for the thing. But what does that say about Frampton? Who in their right mind would want to take credit for such a thing? Not only do I wonder what Frampton was thinking during shooting, but I also wonder what he was thinking during editing. Was he pleased with the progress he was making? Or did he just decide to keep going after he was halfway finished, knowing it was crap, just because he really had nothing else to do with his time? In Thursday's post-screening class... There you go. We had the screening on Tuesdays, and Thursday was, was the post-screening class discussion. People were giving new meaning to the process of overanalyzing a film. I don't think Hollis Frampton had the mental capacity to make a film that was even remotely close to being as deep, sophisticated, or as intelligent as some people were giving him credit for. The film was being highly overrated by a lot of the members of the class. It was interesting for about two minutes. That's all. Otherwise, it was 60 mind-numbing and meaningless minutes that I can unfortunately never get back, which is too bad. <laughs> all right. So... I guess the precursor to the Birthday Boy podcast is my film journal from 2001. 
Winter kept us warm. I don't know why the hell we had to stop this film. This is, this is just, I'm just, it sounds like the podcast, just writing in a journal that was being handed into the professor. Yes, we'd handed these huge, heavy books. He just had a stack of these giant journals on his desk every Tuesday because we'd go, we would, uh, you know, we'd watch something. We'd have the screening time on Tuesday. We'd have the class discussion and analysis on Thursday. And then between Thursday and the following Tuesday, we would get our journals back and we would have to do, you know, a class analysis or a writing assignment or a drawing assignment, art, bullshit, whatever. And then we'd come back on Tuesday and hand it in. And he'd not read it as far as I'm concerned. So I guess I liked something called Winter Kept Us Warm, 1968 by David Sector. I don't know why the hell we had to stop this film in the middle. Terrible acting. And the fact that the plot was dumb aside, this was a pretty damn good film. To think that someone made this thing in college is really quite impressive. It had a script. It reeked of effort. Oh, my God. Shot over time through the seasons. It was overall well-thought-out work. I don't agree. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Oh, 20-year-old Johnny boy. Oh, dude, what are you doing? I don't agree with the homosexual content or why the hell it has to be there. Oh, no. Well, it's not surprising. Uh, You know, yeah, like a lot of people that age and that time. Look, if I wanted to hide what a friggin' homophobe I was, I would hide it. But I, you know, I, I guess I just didn't want to see something about gay people and i don't remember what what it was but um visual garbage oh jesus uh but anyways this is 20 year old this is the thing right we're a certain way and we can either continue to be a certain way or we can fucking grow up and think about the things that sort of define us and how we how we view the world and maybe come to a conclusion that that's not the right way to to view things it's weird though because i was very uh, I was more accepting and tolerant when I was a teenager in high school. I would get really offended if people used, uh, you know, homophobic slurs and stuff like that. And then I guess I just, it was probably that lazy, like peer pressure. Eh, if you can't beat them, join them. And then I went back to just being kind of a fucking shithead. And yeah, it shows in this journal as I, I disagree with the homosexual content. Oh, shut up. Shut up, you idiot. But that's the thing. That's 20-year-old me. And then through the course of your 20s, you know, that's a that's a that's 10 years of, you know, you're you're always growing and learning and changing and and that was like, I, I don't know, no no one particular day, just maybe you get to a certain point <coughs> where you say, "Oh, hey, I'm actually this is the wrong way to think about things." And I need to stop right now. And correct that. Oh my God, I can't. But but geez, uh, I don't agree. I don't agree with the homosexual content or why the hell it has to be in there. Well, because that's what the artist chose to put in there. Stupid idiot. Oh, there's so many times I want to go back and slap myself. You know, I, I, at least when I was asking my mom when I was four years old if paint was the only thing you had to eat, would you eat it? Like, at least that was just stupid. 
There was nothing harmful about it. Well, other than eating the paint. Uh, anyway, uh, mindless banter and the narrative flow of the film made it a, refresher, a refreshing change from the usual garbage we watch in this class. It's kind of like history class. You spend the whole semester taking notes and listening to lectures, and then one day, as a treat, the teacher puts on a, a videotape or a movie. It's a nice break from the monotony of the usual class. That's exactly what it was like watching The Winter Kept Us Warm. All this time, we've been watching mainly nonlinear, experimental, avant-garde crap in this class. And it was a nice break from the same generic avant-garde garbage to watch a nice, flowing narrative that had a beginning, middle, and end. God, I really, I was like an old man. I've just always been an old man, I guess. Now I'm now I have the body to fit the attitude as I hobble around with my sore legs and back and just general out of shapeness. As I watch the Boston Marathon on TV and think I couldn't even I couldn't even cross the street that they're running on, let alone do a marathon. Ah, uh, it's a nice change of pace that you got us a movie that we could actually understand instead of avant-garde crap. And, go- and I really, what a vocabulary. It's a bunch of crap. It's the usual, better than the usual garbage you give us. That was the first time all semester that I was very attentive and paid attention to the film without really getting bored or even pissed off. None, nevertheless, it was a good film. It should have been... Left to play until the end. Okay. Fist fight. This is exactly what I mean. We have to take out a perfectly good narrative film and put this shit in its place. It was a generic, cliched piece of garbage. Greer put no effort. Fist fight by Robert Greer. No effort into this film, and it showed. There were many seams and flaws. Not only the filming, but the editing. It was just lazy and half-assed. Lots of little fists and hearts and phallic symbols. Wow. So this genius is talking about war and basically using his dumb little fists to say how much he hates war. This was an obvious waste of time and effort. Actually, it really wasn't a waste of time and effort since there was none put into it to begin with. Oh, well. (laughs) I salute Robert Greer's feelings about war and fighting and violence as well as the fact that he would put together a piece in protest. But he was going to put a protest and anti-violence film together. One would think that he would have taken the time to put together something nice that actually got a point across in a less cliched, less one-dimensional, and less generic way. The film almost seems cocky. It has a cocky aura to it. I don't know what it is, but Robert Greer was probably smiling himself silly about this film after he made it because he thought it was such a new radical piece to protest Nam, and this film was from 1964, or some such garbage. Either way, this film, like most avant-garde pieces, could have been entered, or could have ended after about five to eight minutes and gotten the message across perfectly. But since avant-garde people are so upset that they can't make a 90-minute full-length film like those in Hollywood, they have to 
try and stretch their films as long as possible because they are more into quality rather than or more into quantity rather than quality, which is why the damn film repeats for thirty minutes before the end. How many lines? How many must they drive this? How many times must they drive this crap into our heads? Enough's enough. Oh my gosh. Dana's film. Oh my god. It was so the professor showed us a film on April 5th. I really must say the film was hard to pay attention to because it was so awkward to watch. It was a very personal, meaningful film for Dana, obviously. It was because of the film being so personal that I felt uncomfortable watching in the class. It's hard to give negative criticism about a film when the creator is the same person teaching the class. I know Dana is not like that, but it is silly, very strange and uncomfortable because of... I can't read my own writings. Teach the Dana's mother, obviously painful and traumatic experience. It's a nicely done film, but I really think there's no room for Professor getting that personal in a class with his his her students. To me, it makes the professor, in this case Dana, somewhat vulnerable to the student. It creates an awkwardness because a student-professor relationship is supposed to be a primarily professional relationship. Oh my God. I'm just really, I'm really laying down the, the unwritten rules here. This is how it's going to be. This is how it's supposed to be. I don't want them to know about my personal life, and I don't want to know about theirs. God, I do. I sound like, this could have been like if a, in 2001, if like a, if a 75 year old World War II, 80 year old World War II veteran took this class. Oh, pal, I don't need to know about your feelings. I don't want to know about your feelings. You keep your feelings to yourself. I'll keep my feelings to myself. I mean, what a, what a juxtaposition to, I mean, that's how, but that's how it was, right? Like you, yeah, you're not supposed to have any kind of, uh, you know, you can, you can have a nice relationship with your teachers and it can very much be personal and get to know them and they get to know you. But I was, I was just, I was all business. I mean, all the, all the signs are here that this is, here's a guy who's about to go to business school. He doesn't even know it, but he's about to go finish this thing and go get an MBA. Oh my God. It's all right there. Oh, listen, uh, Dana, this is how it's supposed to be. I don't need to know about you. You don't need to know about me. You're just supposed to teach the class and then let's get out of here. And here we are in 2021. What was I just talking about the other day about how happy I am that my kids' teachers are so sensitive and so compassionate and kind and caring and nurturing. And it's not just about academics. It's not just about the business of being smarter uh, than you were when you started the class. It's about, you know, caring for one another and being human beings. And then, my God, you go back to 20-year-old me. Oh, there's, there's no time for feelings. This is college. You just teach us so we can learn and then get the hell out of here and go get our jobs and make money and settle down and have 2.5 kids, a dog and a cat and a white picket fence. Oh, man. Uh, anyways... It's supposed to be a professional relationship. I don't want them to know about my personal life, and I don't want to know about theirs. But taking that aspect out of the film, I still do not like it very much. Jesus Christ. Ah, It was primarily an audio piece with a few small clips mixed in, blue leaves, etc. To tell the truth, the woman playing Dana's mother 
did not do a very good job convincing me that she was dying of cancer. I don't think it was playing his mother. I think it was just his mother. Oh, my God. It seemed less effective, perhaps, because of the shallow, one-dimensional acting on the part of the quote-unquote actress. But I did not feel anything from the film. It is a great tribute for Dana to give to his mother, and I can take nothing away from that. However, for me, not knowing about Dana's personal life and having a terrible reenactment of his mother, the film did not work for me on the same level as, say, Ariana's piece about her dying grandmother because it dealt with real interaction between a dying relative and Ariana. A good effort from Dana, but I would suggest not showing it to his classes. Oh my god, and then this fucking guy. Uh, I just have one that says Flickr film that fucking sucks. Zorn's Lemma by Hollis Frampton. I guess I'm not a, not a big fan of a Hollis Frampton. I'm trying to find... And maybe I don't have it. Uh, there was. Hmm. Refilming in circles. Week nine. Explore this. Where would the... Av- okay, Mike Snow. I I know we watched something. Let me take a quick pause because I want to see if I have notes. This was the reason I wanted to talk to you. Because I was talking about this film that we watched. And Dana Anderson's reaction to our reaction of him... Uh, surprising us with this film uh let me take a quick pause stick around all right i I can't find a a journal entry of this one particular film but here's we here's a here's an analysis of et we actually watch once in a while you watch a hollywood film in these avant-garde classes um usually usually because they want to juxtapose it to something or you know have an analysis about why E.T. is just a big penis. We watched E.T. a couple of times in film school because look at the penis. Look at the penis. Uh, but I guess week seven, according to my class analysis in March of 2001, we watched uh, Le Nuit et Briard, which is a, a, oh, just a, it's a great film and it's a horrible film because it's a, it's the Holocaust and it's real footage and it's awful. It's awful to watch. Uh, and I saw that a couple times and then we watched ET. Uh, I don't need to read my, my analysis of Nuit Briard is, you know, I, I liked the film and had a constructive uh, analysis, I guess. ET, I guess this, it still stands today. I don't, I don't hate ET, but I don't ever want to watch it ever. Maybe I do hate E.T. Well, anyway, here's my here's my analysis of E.T. from March of 2001. I hate this movie, but the sad thing is Hollywood magic can bring up more emotions for the death of a piece of crap alien than actual footage of real deaths. The melodrama in this movie mixed with the, horribly, the horrible acting and the fact that E.T. is a totally obnoxious creature make me remember why I hated this movie back when I was a kid, too. There were a lot of strange similarities between E.T. and the Jews that I certainly wouldn't have noticed if we didn't watch Nuit Briard first. I guess that's that's the comparison was to look at how, uh, I, I don't know, Spielberg, tr- the treatment of, of E.T. in the movie is like the Jews in the Holocaust. I, I don't know what the analysis is. Uh, 
No. I guess the some of the imagery, E.T. was reminiscent. I mean, this Nuit Briard shows horrific graphic things, and I'm comparing the imagery of E.T. to the to that of actual footage of the Holocaust. That yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting. I guess leave it to Dana Anderson to show that and and, and look at the differences. But um <laughs> I love typical textbook narratives. I love Titanic, Back to the Future, Karate Kid, etc. <laughs> but for some reason, E.T. just plain sucks. The music makes me absolutely sick to my stomach. Oh, that's not true. That is wonderful John Williams score. Get out of here. No. I love that. I used to play that song when we would take off on an airplane. I put my earbuds in. Anyway, no, I, I don't believe the music. The music does not suck. The acting sucks. The melodrama is so horribly overdone that this movie as a whole seems more like a parody of itself. What kind of idiot says I love you to an alien? (laughs) This is my analysis. This is a college. Oh, my God. This is a college-level analysis. What kind of idiot says I love you to an alien? I, (laughs) I don't say I love you to my cat, and I've had her for 13 years. I know it was geared towards kids and obviously worked, but I guess... The smart kids like me could see through this corny mess and phoniness of the whole damn thing. Well, well done. Here's another movie by Michael Snow called Wavelength. I remember this. It made me dizzy, if I remember it right. Michael Snow really had a piece of crap with this film. That's This is my whole journal that I submitted for class credit, a college course, and all of my analysis is, wow, what a piece of crap. Oh, this is real garbage. What a piece of junk. What a worthless piece of crap. That's my whole thing. I guess that fits because that's all the Birthday Boy podcast is too, just talking about all the all the worthless pieces of crap out there. Wavelength. Michael Snow really had a piece of crap with this film. 45 minutes of my life are gone. I can never get them back. Actually, I've seen this damn thing twice. So really an hour and a half of my life is gone. And I'm sure this isn't the last time I'll ever see Michael Snow's brainchild, one which should have been given an abortion, if you ask me. <laughs> oh, my God. I handed this in? You idiot. I mean, that's that's pretty good, though. A cerebral abortion. Oh, I wrote cere- yeah. Ah, Michael Snow's brainchild should have been given an abortion. Oh, my God. All right. Very good. I'm quickly finding out that anything non-narrative in this avant-garde world is considered a genius, considered genius just because it has never been done. Doesn't anyone ever wonder why it hasn't been done? Well, it's simple because no one is. <gasps> I use the R word. Oh my god! No one is R word enough to think. That 45 minutes of zoom in on a picture across the room is the slightest bit interesting. And the picture had no significance or correlation to the film at all. Had the picture been revealed as a photo of the exact same wide angle establishing shot from the beginning of the film, then this would have been a somewhat interesting piece. It would have added a very surreal surprise element to the ending of the film. It would have been hugely would have hugely added to the already present motion of the distortion of bed 
bath time and of both time and space. Well, I can't even read my own writing. Like creating the effect of a mirror looking into a mirror. Where does it end? But instead of having a nice point to the film, I always wanted it to be a nice point. I, I was so upset because everything didn't have a nice, neat little ribbon, nice little package on it for me. This should have been nicer. They should have done a nicer job with the niceness of it. And they didn't. I'm going to go complain to the dean. Instead of having a nice point to the film, Snow chose to ruin it. I mean, it goes from day to night to day in a matter of seconds. So why not capture with this manipulation of time and space theme of having... I I can't read my... The viewer end up exactly where they began. The entire film... Could have been impacted so much better had Michael Snow only sought my advice first. My analysis is that a a successful filmmaker should have talked to me before he made his film. His successful film. I mean, success in the avant-garde world, which is, you know, I I don't know what that equates to. Coming home from a from a from a shift at the at the store i, I you know a couple a couple days worth a couple weeks worth of barnes and noble paychecks is the equivalent to avant-garde film success oh man anyway uh so that there's just a little a little glimpse and i i guess i didn't write about yeah we watched the fem nikita usa series that's interesting class analysis I'm telling you, oh my gosh, I did a 3D drawing of my Ericsson cell phone with the big antenna sticking out of it. Wow, that's fun. Uh, Positive, negative drawing. Oh, I took a picture of the Steiner Brothers clotheslining the head shrinkers at WrestleMania 9, and I did a a negative, uh, negative space drawing. Holy cow. What it is, (laughs) February 15th, 2001 notes, what it is to be avant-garde. New, before it's time, breaks boundaries, stimulates the mind, not commercial, not narrative, not normal, not narrative, and then in caps, not good. <laughs> not comprehensible, mind of twisted person, de- deliberately fucks with the audience, formalistic, no content, no real life, stretch boundaries. Okay. So I just, uh, I just, I mean, cool. I I really just shit on everything that we saw. And that's what I'm trying to find from this film class. We watched a film and I don't remember it and I'm I can't believe I don't have an analysis of it, but maybe I do somewhere in there. Eh, doesn't matter. Class analysis. Oh god, Heart of London. <sighs> there were many different aspects that caused a great deal of different reactions and emotion. I uh, I think because it was February, I was still given the uh the fucking canned response. Well, this was an interesting film. Very unique and interesting. I'll tell you about The Heart of London is a piece of shit. Uh, is about stillness, about time. Images move into one another, almost collapse on each other. Raises questions about time. What do we do with the time? Those are my notes. Okay. Uh, Heart of London was one of those films we watched in a couple different classes. And it it shows a scene that's just so was so graphic and disturbing to me, with an animal, uh, and it just you just sit and watch it. Just it doesn't it just slowly yeah 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 it's bad. You watch an animal die, and uh, it is it is really graphic and really gross. I, remember I was sitting with uh, with a buddy who was like you know 
people were almost like, you know, they had to leave. They had to leave the room. People were like getting dizzy. It was just so unexpected because this movie, this film was mostly like nature and snow and there's deer and animals and stuff. And then, and then boom, there's the, I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it was the slaughterhouse or what it was, but you can use your imagination. It was not, not pretty, not pretty to say the least. It was, yeah, like a lot of people, there were people who had to go to the bathroom and, and be sick. I'm not even joking. It was really, you know, they didn't know it was coming. That's the fun part about these fucking, <laughs> these fucking masochistic professors with their, well, let me, uh, let me, <laughs> let me torture everybody with surprise here's an animal getting butchered ha ha oh you're you're having a real visceral reaction to it oh he's that one's running to the bathroom that one's passed out at their desk this one's dizzy this one's fainting uh yeah and that was the least of it the, the that was one that we watched and i i hate that film i hated pretty much every film we watched in, in film school i wish i had uh good golly made some different choices anyway uh, there was one film, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was basically just, it was basically just gay porn, I think, maybe, maybe some straight porn too, um, and the whole class was really grossed out, not in a, uh, I mean, I remember for me, I wasn't grossed out in a, in a homophobic kind of way, I was grossed out in the sense of like, I just, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't watch porn when I was that age. I just didn't. And uh, I, I, I didn't expect to show up to my class, my college class, and watch a film from the 60s with a bunch of, like, you know, butt stuff going on and close-up views of, of anuses. Like, I don't want to see buttholes. Just a general rule. Male, female, human, animal... Melmachian, I don't want to see buttholes. I don't want to, I just, uh, no thanks. So this was a whole film of buttholes with like, uh, you know, with licensed music dubbed over like Jimi Hendrix, you know, music from the 60s and stuff like that. And just like, uh, yeah, just a lot of buttholes and stuff happening to the buttholes. And, hey, look, I guess I didn't, nobody told us, nobody gave a disclaimer like, by the way, you're going to see a lot of buttholes. It's going to be a lot of butthole action uh, for the next 30 minutes here in this old college class of ours that you're going to be uh, in debt <laughs> to, to attend. Uh, so get ready for the buttholes. Here come the bu- Nobody said that. He just rolled the, rolled the film, and then there's the buttholes. And then there's, you know, you can imagine various objects going in and out of the buttholes. And so a lot of us were like, oh, my God, because – not not even necessarily grossed out, just shocked. Like, whoa, whoa. I, I did not see this coming. I didn't think we were going to be watching this. And then it's just a lot, of, a lot of butt stuff. And so myself and pretty much everyone in the class was like, ew, oh, my God. Because, like, I wasn't ready. Wasn't ready for the butthole. <sighs> so the next, so that was Tuesday. The following Thursday... Dana Anderson had a very quiet, composed reaction to our reaction. Uh, and, and a little background, that week there had been uh, 
pretty big Jewish population at, at Binghamton. Um, a lot of downstate Long Island, New York City uh, student population. And it's a, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty sizable Jewish population at Binghamton. And uh, someone, some really, f- you know, fucking awesome guy or girl or somebody, nah, it wasn't a girl, let's be honest, it was dudes, uh, spray painted a bunch of swastikas and Nazi bullshit and really anti Semitic crap on uh on one of the walls somewhere or the dorm or something like one of the dorms i, I don't remember where the exact details but there was you know there was some nazi graffiti and it's like oh, god i just you know stop being an asshole but assholes are going to be assholes and that's a completely separate incident uh and then during the same week we watched the butthole film and then on thursday we came back to discuss the film uh, but Dana Anderson felt we can't have a, an analysis because you're all a bunch of children. And he had he pulled out a piece of paper. He had composed he had composed his thoughts into a speech that he gave to us, condemning us for our reaction to the butts to the buttholes. And <laughs> again, um, I'm just you know. I just, I don't, you know, I don't like, I don't need to look at buttholes of anybody at any time. It's just not a, not a, not a, not a source of enjoyment for me. Uh, because I guess I'm one of those people that just uh, says, hey, the, the butthole is, I know the purpose of that. And therefore I, I can't separate the two. I don't want to see the butthole. And, uh, and so so along with the rest of the class i was saying oh my god oh gross butts gross buttholes um and so dana anderson sat down and he he was very silent and we were all silent and he was you know really hamming it up and then he he said i i want to i i have to give you a statement and he went on for 20 minutes about what i saw on Tuesday's screening, shocked and horrified me. The reaction that you had to the film we watched, again, the film with lots of penetration of buttholes, um, the reaction that you had to the surprise butthole film that I didn't tell you was going to be a film about buttholes, the reaction that you had makes me wonder if the if the same person who spray painted those horrible images and, and, and words earlier this week isn't sitting amongst us in this classroom right now. So basically, hey, gross buttholes equals Nazis. You're the, you're the anti-Semites in this class because you didn't like the buttholes. And everybody just kind of collectively groaned like, are you serious? This isn't... <laughs> You understand that our reaction is because we didn't know we were going to see something and then you showed it to us and it was a great deal of it and there wasn't really any particular meaning other than it was just a lot of penetration of a particular area (laughs) that we weren't expecting to see. So yeah, the reaction was, ew, gross butthole. From the guys, from the girls, from everyone in the class, mind you. And not 
it wasn't a ew gay stuff. It was ew buttholes. Because there were some chicks in there too. <laughs> so, so then he compared the whole class to the to the Nazis who spray painted the swastikas on the on the uh, on the dorm room a few days prior. And I just, I, I think that was maybe the turning point where I just said, I don't, I don't care about this class. I'm, I hate, I hate this program. I hate this class. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm going to stop being a phony, pretentious asshole talking about how great all these films are because they're all fucking terrible. And so then, uh, as you, as you heard, that's what I did the rest of the time was just read about. We just read about all the, all the films that I hated. I didn't articulate perhaps as well as I would today. 41-year-old Johnny Boy would, would take a different approach. Uh, maybe maybe open up a thesaurus in any of the uh, occasions where I would have written piece of crap, piece of garbage. Yeah, maybe pull out a, so the thesaurus. Maybe throw in a rubbish here or there. Junk, piece of junk. It stinks. Uh, so yeah, it was just like, yeah, we were we we were kind of shocked by the buttholes and then kind of laughing too because it's like maybe there's a nervousness like hey, if I'm going to watch this, I'm used to doing it by myself. <laughs> Versus hey, we're all sitting here in a classroom, in a lecture hall with a bunch of people watching watching it together, experience it all together. So like, yeah, and by the way, we're all like 18, 19, 20 years old. So sorry. Sorry if we're not giving you the response to the to the porn that you want to have. Oh, wasn't it just beautiful? I love the camera motions as the fist went in and out of the butthole. It was really um, you know, really a, a an expressive and exploratory use of of the uh, black and white contrast of the shadows, uh, you know, of the of the whiteness of the butt cheeks uh, contrasted against the shadows of the of the butthole, and then the shadow created by the fist <laughs> inserting itself into the butthole while the Jimi Hendrix music is playing <laughs> over all of it. <laughs> you don't care for me. I don't care about that. <laughs> I'm not even that's that's exactly what it was. Ah, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. So the so yeah. So that's that was, that was another glimpse into college life. And then there was another thing that I was going to talk about that I've already forgotten. Oh, totally unrelated. Let's switch gears. <laughs> Let's switch gears and fast. Uh I was looking at a, a nostalgic uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina Facebook page that I follow. Most of it's crap. Most of it I don't care about. But occasionally they'll show a picture of, of a landmark that I remembered from my childhood of going to Myrtle Beach quite regularly. And this morning there was a picture of the big clock that was at the Myrtle Square Mall. And if anybody's ever been there, you remember that you'll never forget this clock. Because I think at the time it was the, like, the biggest clock in the world. Or one of them. Um. You know, maybe rivaling Big Ben, uh, huge clock at the in the middle of the mall. It was basically, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if it was the food court, but a a dome type sort of area and circular dome. You know, they had the the numbers. It was all electronic, 
and they had a, a, an electronic um, minute hand, and the seconds were just, uh, you know, 60 light bulbs that would, you know, that would illuminate with every second. So one, two, three, light bulb on, light bulb on. And uh, it was just neat, and you could just sit there and people watch and stare at the clock, and it was, a, yeah, it was, it was fun to go to that mall. Um, and I was, I, I was telling, telling the kids I, I purchased many a video game at that mall. And then reminisced about the time that uh, that Nate and I went to Myrtle Beach, and we were at uh, the KB Toys, and I was looking to get some a new video game to enjoy during the uh, during the vacation, and the sales clerk hipped me to the <laughs> to the Summer Olympic '96 uh, games, uh, the nineteen ninety six Summer Games for PlayStation, and I was looking at the back, and I looked like shit, and I said, "Is this this is really good?" Yeah, bro. Oh, dude, this is such a good game. It's awesome, man. It's awesome. I'm like, really? It's summer games for PlayStation? Is There's not really known to be a very good Olympic video game anywhere, ever. So you're telling me that this is pretty good? Oh, dude, it's so sweet, bro. So sweet. It's so good. It's awesome, bro. He just, he just you know, he just kept broing the shit out of me. And I'm like, all right. I mean, this guy seems seemed like an honest, straight-shooting fella. I got my 60 bucks saved up here. I'm going to spend it wisely on Summer Olympic Games 1996 for the PlayStation. Here you go, sir. I don't I don't think it was I think it was probably marked down 20 bucks maybe. Uh and then we got back to the uh we got back to the room and plugged in the PlayStation and put in the Summer Games and it was a big piece of crap. Not to sound like my college uh art book here, but yeah, it was a piece of crap and a piece of garbage. It's just a terrible game, but I think I think that was my, <laughs> I think that was the universe. I was th- I think that was a little bit of karma coming back to me after I had suggested to Nate uh, years prior to that that he should buy he should purchase Bonanza Brothers for the Sega Genesis. Really, Bonanza Brothers? Oh yeah, dude, it's so good, dude. It's so sweet, man. It's awesome. You should go get Bonanza Brothers for Genesis. Trust me. And I was doing that just to fuck with Nate because. It was uh, known to be a notoriously bad game, and uh, Nate went to the store, and luckily Nate had the good sense to pick up Bonanza Brothers and take a look at it and look at the back and say, wow, this looks terrible. This looks like a horrible game. I'm not going to buy this. And then he came back the next day, and he was like, I, I was going to go buy Bonanza Brothers the other day, and I looked at the back of the box, and the pictures really it didn't look that good. And then I, I think I burst into laughter. I'm like, oh, no, it's really good. And he's like, yeah, you think you're fucking with me? <laughs> and uh, that's that's been a that's been a it's been a sore spot ever since, and understandably so because you trust your friends to steer you in the right direction, just as you trust a a sales clerk to not steer you wrong on a video game that you're about to spend hard earned paper route money on. And so poor Nate luckily had the good sense to not believe me, as I was being a horrible friend and leading him towards a, a terrible game that would have been tons of hours of unenjoyment for him and uh yeah that was just uh just a little insight a little glimpse into what a piece of shit i was was and uh yeah and then i got but then i got you know karma comes back to you tenfold right so i i sent nate out to buy a terrible video game and he had the sense to not buy it good for him bad for me then i go with nate standing next to me ironically enough uh, to a to a KB Toys to purchase a new video game, and I'm I'm duped by the by the sales clerk telling me, 
Oh, bro, bro, it's so good, bro. Oh, dude, bro, bro, dude. It's awesome. It's sick, bro. It's so sick. Okay, all right. And then actually spending money on it like an idiot, like a chump, and uh, and then being stuck with this terrible, terrible video game. Uh, so, yeah, uh, joke's on me. Ah, uh, that's karma for you. By the way, this, this uh, film, uh, Cinema 122 Notebook... We got to, it's a black, just a black uh, notebook. I don't know. I don't know who makes it, but, um, yeah, we had to, we had to personalize our notebooks, personalize our journals. Mine is nothing but pictures, the amount of printer ink that I wasted. Oh my God. I'm just looking at all this stuff and it's basically every WrestleMania from WrestleMania 1 through WrestleMania 16, I believe. Yep, yep. Uh, just a picture of different... Yeah, there's like Macho Man dropping the elbow. There's Diesel. There's the Hulkster. Mike Tyson. Bret Hart. Roddy Piper. Ric Flair. Bret Hart. Lex Luger. <laughs> Psycho Sid. Double J. Jeff Jarrett. There's everybody. Yeah. Yeah, through through WrestleMania, there's the eh. that's all it was. Pictures that I I printed. Oh gosh, I hope I I hope I used the school printer at least, so I wasn't wasting ink that my parents bought or, or ink that I I don't think I had a printer. I actually I maybe I did have a printer in my dorm room. I can't remember. Uh, but I printed all these wrestling pictures and cut them up and then taped them with scotch tape onto my onto my notebook. I was I was telling my oldest about this earlier. And they said, they said, wait, how, when was this? How old were you? I said, I was 20, two zero, not in my teens, not even 18 or 19. I was 20 making this little art scrapbook thing for a class for a letter grade. And then somehow I got an A in that class and they couldn't believe like that. I said, so I thought maybe this was like for fourth grade or something that you know, it was college. And not even freshman year of college, but uh, my junior year of college. God damn. <sighs> well, so you had a good, uh, good camping trip, good weekend of camping. Uh, new place, Bear Brook State Park, about an hour from here. Uh, nice drive. Uh, the usual campsite we go to requires us to go on a road that I absolutely despise going on. I hate it. I hate every second of being on Amherst Street. The nice thing about Bear Brook is we didn't have to go anywhere near Amherst Street to get there. The downside was we left Friday evening when everybody was, I mean, Friday evenings in New England are just notoriously awful, just horrendous times, especially during the summer. Uh, that's the worst of it. And then during leaf peeping season. Friday evening, and then any time on Saturday and Sunday, especially if the weather's nice. And the weather was gorgeous on Friday, low 70s, not a cloud in the sky. So everybody was on the road at the same time. So the bummer was that we got to the and sunsets at like 6.15, 6.20. So leaving it, I think we left at 5 o'clock, 5 something. Yeah, it was right about 5 o'clock. I couldn't leave any any sooner. It might have been 5.15, I don't know. Uh, maybe even 5.30. So we didn't give ourselves much much daylight to work with. Luckily, we have the pop-up tent that doesn't need to be assembled. 
So it's a lot easier to, to put it together with, you know, with flashlights, you just, everything's all attached. It just extends and all unfolds and, you know, that's it. Um, but it was a great place. Love the location, huge state park, gorgeous scenery, the woods and everything. There's a pond, there's a playground, baseball field, volleyball court, nice uh, little office to get supplies and wood and ice and snacks and camping gear and all that stuff. Great. It's open late on Fridays and Saturdays, open till 10 o'clock. That's nice. Uh, gorgeous. We had a huge campsite. We had we brought both cars. We had enough room to park our cars off to the side and still have the driveway space wide open and have plenty of room for our tent. The picnic table, of course, and the fire pit are there. You could have fit you could have fit a couple more tents, good sized tents and cars. I mean, it's like, wow, it's very spacious, beautiful site. A lot of like big, big logs kind of separating, you know, providing the perimeter for all the campsites and and separating them from the other. Uh, The downside is there's not much foliage between you and the adjacent campsite. So you're just, if you turn your head to the left, you're staring at your neighbor right in the face. I mean, they're not next to you, but you can see them, you can hear them because there's nothing there's nothing to muffle the sound. There's no leaves and trees and bushes and things to uh to block some of the sound. So you just you can hear everybody and they can hear you. And uh at one point I was playing the new Metroid game and sitting there and I forgot that we were outside at a campfire and I boy did I let one rip. I mean, I really let it go and then I looked up and said, "Oh shit." And the kids were just laughing. I said, sorry. And then I just started yelling sorry up into the air to the entire campsite because probably everybody, the entire campground, because probably everybody heard it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot where I was. Sorry. Oops. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, great trails. Great nature trails. The foliage is the foliage is a bit late this year because it's been it's been hotter and rainier than it normally would be. And those are the things that uh, that delay some of the some of the foliage. Usually, Columbus Day weekend is getting pretty close to peak foliage um, between I want to say you know maybe the tenth and the eighteenth, and what's today is the eleventh. So yeah, I mean it should, but it's going to be a very hot summer like week too. So it might might push that foliage back even more, and we might not get the the beautiful colors that we would normally get. Um, there was some, nothing, nothing to write home about, but it was still, still some nice color up there. Nice pond. Again, another pond that doesn't check for fecal bacteria. So that's fun. Uh, but it's too cold to go swimming. So no big deal. Took, took a lot of nice hikes, took a nice sunset hike around the pond with my oldest and listened to, uh, some lore podcast and some 13 days of Halloween also from Aaron Mankey. So that was kind of nice little spooky little walk in the woods in October. What's better than that? And sitting around the campfire, it was very enjoyable, but yeah, the only, the only, I guess the only uh, negative is I, I didn't love how close, well, it's the same. I mean, the distance is the same as any other campsite. It's just how few, uh, how little uh, barriers there were to, to separate those campsites, but it was a good trip. And, of course, uh, it looked like I missed a hell of a day of college football on Saturday. Hey, I'm going to take camping over college football no matter what's happening. But it looked like all those games I listed, the Red River shootout between Oklahoma and Texas, really was a a shootout, just 
high scoring back and forth. Alabama got beat. Uh, you had a bunch of ranked teams that had really close games and overtime games and all that. It sounded like a great weekend of college football. And I really didn't get to see much of the NFL either. We'll recap that tomorrow after after tonight's uh, Monday night football game and look ahead to the next week of the NFL. But uh, I, I missed so much. I, I missed the Red Sox-Tampa uh, Bay uh, game, the baseball game on Sunday. T- completely forgot all about it. Uh, we got home from camping, watched a few minutes of football, took a shower, got cleaned up, unpacked, put everything away, and then had to take uh, had to take the youngest to the urgent care. It was the, unfortunately, as great as the campsite was, there was a brief period on Friday night where I was uh, had to restoke the fire and put some new logs on, and the fire the fire was pretty low, wasn't giving off much light, and the and the youngest uh, was playing with glow sticks, dropped one, went to get it, tripped and fell, and yeah, face first right into right into a tree that she didn't know was was right there. So, poor thing has a bit of a busted lip. So we went and make sure uh, you know it was too late to get any kind of any kind of sutures or anything like that. You have to do that within twelve hours. But still wanted to make sure that uh, had had a medical professional check it out and, and got some antibiotics, make sure that it doesn't get infected or anything like that. But. That was uh, that was a good portion of Sunday afternoon, and then I and then I realized I had to do the meeting minutes for the PTO meeting that's coming up on Tuesday. So that was the rest of the Sunday. So I really was just uh, yeah, I didn't 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 quite uh, get to watch a, to get to watch much of the football games. But uh, looks like I had more right than I had wrong so far. I think I had eight nine right so far, and four five six. So I'm nine and six. So I guess the worst case is I go nine and seven. Best case I go ten and six. So all right, still hovering around that fifty percent mark. I just can't. Some of these games are just so goddamn close. I, there was every possibility that the ones that I did get right, boy, it just just things go slightly in another direction, and I'm I'm looking at like maybe getting three of these predictions correct. So, which is good. Close games, good games, lots of football. We'll talk about that later, but uh, hey, I wanted to check in and just tell you those some of those stories. Good, excellent camping trip. Uh, the poor kiddo getting the getting getting cut up pretty good on the tree, notwithstanding. Um, she still had a great time. We let the kids bring electronics this time, as I think I mentioned, because it's cold and there's no there's no swimming to be done or anything like that. So there aren't as many activities as if, if summertime as a summertime camping trip. So we brought our Nintendo switches. We brought iPads. The kids watched uh, the final episode of season three of stranger things, which they're hooked on, which was fun to sit and watch that by the campfire. I played some, uh, some Raji, which is a really so far is a pretty fun game on the switch. And, uh, and then played some of the new Metroid game, which I'm, I'm really, really enjoying so far. Gameplay is great. A lot of fun challenging but it's fun uh played it just a little bit but uh but enough to sit by the campfire a little bit so we did we we usually usually the only electronic devices is kim and i we each have our phones and that's about it and this time we said nah you're good let's bring some other stuff enjoy do whatever you want it's all good so we we sat around and enjoyed the electronics that's not going to be a normal thing i don't think but uh yeah it was still good nevertheless 
So a fun weekend, and uh, and now here we are with a what will hopefully be a nice, relaxing Monday. Hope you're enjoying it. Hope you're having a great weekend. Wanted to give you a little glimpse into my college life and unearth some of these, uh, some of my analytical reviews of some some avant-garde films from 20 years ago that I watched in 2001 as a junior at Binghamton. Good times. All right, gang, go to birthdayboyshop.com. Get some merch. It's October. I keep telling you, the holidays are going to be here before you know it. Get that merch, baby. Birthdayboyshop.com. All right, gang, talk to you next time. Later, Gators.